Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Yeah, that's, not, yeah, that's okay. It's that's up to you. Okay, that's cool. All right. Uh, let me know when you're ready to start going. I am ready. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer, along with me, as always, to my virtual right, Farmer Dave. How the heck is it going this week? It is going heck well. Good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. So, this week we've got uh, some things that we're talking about. We're talking about two forms of Narlethotep, uh, lower planes, and do we have a review? Oh, an interview? An interview, yeah. Yes, we do. Oh, cool. With the talented Gretchen Martin. Oh, nice. Very cool. Who who was recently on a uh, panel with you and I. Uh, at the uh, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival about Cthulhu and comics. Yeah, yeah, and that's she's true. Gonna, she's going to share a little bit about uh, Japanese culture when it comes to the mythos and kaiju. And uh, yeah, we'll have a good interview today. Very cool. Sounds awesome. All right. So um, with that out of the way, uh, here is the theme song, and we will begin in just a moment. You're listening to KZOM. Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it's us. We're back. We're about to talk about some Narlethotep. And uh, Dave, yes. what, do you, what do you have on our first... Our first uh, uh, avatar, Shuguron. Uh, well, Shuguron, it was created by T.E.D. Klein. Ooh, I have a different note on that. I have that it was created by Henry Kuttner. Oh, did I look up the wrong one? Uh, no, no, you looked up the right one, but I think uh, the name itself was created by Henry Kuttner. It um, could have. But, um, yeah, yeah, the name was created by Henry Kuttner, and not used, and Klein just went yoink, kind of like how. Uh, so that is that is a fact that I did not know. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's along the ways how uh, one author would use another author's creation if it's just briefly mentioned. But yeah. So my first experience then was by. T.E.D. Klein. Uh-huh. And T.E.D. Klein, another thing that I was unaware of, was that T.E.D. Klein is still alive. Yeah, yeah. 
and that his name is Theodore Donald Klein, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that he gave himself the middle initial E for uh, Ebon. Oh, okay. So he just, because he likes doing T-E-D Klein. Yeah. And among other things that he has done, so mm -hmm. he, he, Klein is an amazing writer. But he also suffers greatly from um, from writer's block. So okay. he's only done like two novels and a handful of of short stories. Ah, gotcha. Uh, and so the three, um, and that he was co-writer uh -huh. of a Italian Gallo Gallo movie, Trauma. Aha, interesting. Uh, he's also been an editor for quite a while. Yeah. But there's three Klein's stories, and I know that he's done more, but I think there's three that really, on my end, sort of uh -huh. cemented him in the mythos. Sure. Uh, and one is probably the most famous, uh, is the event at Pornoth Farm. Oh, okay. Yeah. He also, uh, also uh, wrote... Uh, the one that we're going to talk about, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is um, the man with a black horn. Yeah. So, little uh, aside here. Mm -hmm. um, so I was watching last night uh, Cabinets of Curiosity. Sure. And where I was watching uh, a witch in the dream house, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which it's kind of similar. To Lovecraft story in that its title is which our uh, dreams in the witch house uh-huh uh-huh uh but that's about it yeah uh and the characters are the same but the bar that Gilman works at in that mm -hmm. is the black horn gotcha and so I'm sure that the people working on that absolutely are familiar with Klein's work Okay. And so I I would definitely be um I would definitely uh they, they I I think it was deliberate. I don't think that was just a chance. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the other story just real quickly uh that I associate with is uh Children of the Kingdom okay. about these sort of hell earth creatures that live underneath an apartment in New York. Ah. Um, but in um, The Man with the Black Horn, uh -huh. uh, it's basically, it comes across, this man comes across this missionary who has dealt with these underwater creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, and their, their god, which is... A form of Nalothotep. Yeah. And what these creatures are, they're they're more than just sort of the scary thing about them, that they're more than just, say, um, deep ones. Uh-huh. And the fact that they have these long sort of snout proboscis, and they put it on humans' mouths, mm -hmm. and then they suck out their lungs. Yeah. Which is kind of like the most painful way of possibly you know i think killing and the the man with the black horn again spoilers this this is only what a, like a a 40 year old story 
Yeah, yeah. But it's um, he's he's in an airport and he sees a like a calypso album, mm-hmm. and he sees the silhouette of a, a black silhouette of a man with a horn, and it reminds him of uh, what these these creatures look like, and he freaks out. Ah. Um, and uh, this one is that Shogun is their their god, which mm-hmm. is actually an avatar of Narlothotep. Yeah. But that sort of goes kind of the theory that you know not all Narlothoteps, you know, mask has to look like humans or yeah. monsters. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. this one takes the form of this race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a fair amount of avatars of Narlethotep that look like humans, but yeah, no, this is like the uh, it's it's this is just pretty much like and and maybe the the children of Sugaron would disagree, but I mean, in this case, uh, Sugaron is just a giant form of this race. It's like, wait a minute, is Dagon really Dagon, or is Dagon an avatar of Narlethotep? <laughs> yeah, well. But yeah, yeah, no, no, and it's uh, this. I I understand that uh, Sugaron is somehow related to the Chocho. Um, yeah. So 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 he, and this is not an insult in any way. Sure. Klein does a really good job of taking things from other writers and putting them in. Yeah. To his story. Uh, and and so it, it's he does it at a level that it is a talent. It's not it's not just pastiche. It's a talent. Mm-hmm. And so yes, he's going to he when this missionary who is in Malaysia or um, he encounters the Chochos there. Okay. Uh, and so. Um, yeah, so I think they're called. They are actually called the the uh, the tribe there is like the Cha Cha. It's spelled yeah. a little bit differently. And then he picks together that they're actually descendants of the Chocho. Okay. So the the Chocho basically live in harmony mm-hmm. with Shuragan and its children. Okay. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I wonder if 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 uh, somehow um, Shigaron is related to Sean or Fawn, which the Chocho and the Plateau of Lang are also related to. And uh, much like Shigaron, uh, Sean or Fawn has a large trunk that uses to suck the life out of people. I don't think it comes up in the story. But there's definitely, I think, a lot that's unsaid. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Shogaron, I mean, that's... Yeah, no, I remember first running across Shogaron in the uh, Malice... Or in, in the, uh, the the big monster book for, uh, I think, 5th edition Call of Cthulhu that had yeah. all of, like, the historical drawings. And I really liked the one for Shogaron. I was like, ooh, this is cool. It had like a quote from, uh, I believe, black man with a horn. But yeah, and probably does. And so, speaking of which, the black man with the horn mm-hmm. starts off with this quote: 
the black, then the words obscured, was fascinating. I must get a snapshot of him. H.P. Lovecraft's postcard to E. Hoffman Price, July 23rd, 1934. Huh. So that quote is like, it's really sort of spooky, scary. You know, what was Lovecraft trying to get a picture of? Yeah. The word he couldn't read is kitten. <laughs> the word he couldn't read was kitten. But, you know, and, and Klein knows this. But yeah. he's playing with this idea that, you know, Lovecraft knew of these things. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and we we know that it is kitten because of the other letters, you know, and I'd rather be worrying it. But he doesn't explain that in the story. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of how he sets it up. So he takes this rather innocuous, almost cutesy comment uh-huh. from from Lovecraft and makes it scary. <laughs> that's fun. That's fun. All right. Anything else we have to say about uh, uh, Sugar On? Other than that, definitely comes up in in the Call of Cthulhu games. I think this is really the only other place I've seen it. Okay. Uh, and at least maybe not Cutner's version or, or the name, but Klein's version, of course, is still copyright. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. And if you're interested, um, it's a good story. It's definitely a story a a read. Um, And I know it's in one of Ramsey Campbell's collections. Uh uh, But probably easiest to get it is uh, in uh, Cthulhu 2000. That's where I read it uh, by uh, um, Del Rey. All right. right. Which I'm pretty sure is still published. Okay. So the next uh, avatar of Narlethotep, Mask If You Want To, uh, comes from the story Thoth's Dagger by Hamblin. Um, Which I'm pretty sure is is actually a module. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Um, so the manifestation resembles a 12-foot uh, living skeleton with the head of a human embryo and tremendous claws on its hands. Uh, Narlethotep only takes this form when he transforms from one of his regular avatars of that era uh, to attack. And so that would be like Narlethotep going from Thoth, um, which is his ibis-headed human form, or one of the other, like maybe even Set, like we talked about the other day. And um, although I think like the Set stuff happened like after Set was passed, like Mm. Narlethotep being like, look at me, I'm set. And then the people who, you know, 2,000 years later are like, yeah, that guy's totally set. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's one of the most published mm-hmm. of the the modules. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, and some of these books are hard to get. Yeah. But uh, it's in the Cthulhu case book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's in uh, Cthulhu's. Mm-hmm. As well as, um, I'm pretty sure there's a, a another. Uh, I, I think there's three at least, and uh, different times that Chaosium has published this. Yeah, but if you go to, uh, if you look up stuff about Thoth, 
uh, Narlethotep's ibis-headed human, you'll find out that Narlethotep used to use Egyptian, other Egyptian deities, uh, or Egyptian deities, whichever way you want to say it, um, to talk to early humans. And so it's 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 I, I, I kind of like this idea of Narlethotep trying to talk to people, but if they're like, "Hey, let's get them," uh, it, it can then turn into this 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 giant skeleton thing that you know has claws and <laughs> and then you're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. Uh, speaking of trouble, uh, up next. After the interview and a few uh, uh, words from our sponsors, uh, we are going to be talking about a place that is not that great, or a series of places that aren't that great, the lower levels of the Outer Plains. So we'll be back with that in a bit. Thank you again. Anything you have to say about uh, skeletal horror before we I, I think we I think we really covered it there. It makes me think about those uh, skeletons you can get at like Home Depot or Lowe's for uh, Halloween that that people repurpose for other holidays since they're huge and hard to store places. But all right, okay, uh, so we'll be back in a sec, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. If you're ready, then we'll go ahead and go. Okie dokie. So this is the part of the show where I'm not talking to myself and I'm not talking to DB. We're talking with different, interesting, and talented people. And today we have a really good uh, surprise, I think, for everybody here uh, with Gretchen Martin. And uh, Gretchen, what are you looking? Maybe uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, my name is actually Gretchen Brooks. So my I go by Gretchen Martin on Facebook because it's I was that was my nice way of taking my husband's last name. <laughs> yeah, but but, but you're, uh, you're looking for your works. Oh and, yeah, look for me under Gretchen Martin. Okay. Excellent. But um, so I'm uh, formerly of the podcast, uh, the Kaiju Cast. I was it was a ten year running podcast. I was uh, on it for about three years. I was also part of a, a podcast called Horror Brew with uh, Catherine and uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. I would be embarrassed for him to hear this. <laughs> Matthew, her husband Matthew, and they have recently really moved back to where they're from, like uh, uh, from uh, New York. But let's see what else. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been a 
volunteer helping out with the HP Lovecraft Film Festival for about five years. Yes, you have. Yeah. And also, you were on a panel with DB and I on yeah. Lovecraft Comics this year. They sure were. That was fun. That was a good time. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. The lights were extremely bright, but dude, yes. And I like literally I could probably have gone on for hours talking about specific topics because like there was a one fellow who kind of came in late and he had asked about um Genji Ito and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry, I just if we get too far into that, it's just gonna be that's all it's gonna be about because there's a lot of talk about with that. Well, what are maybe some of your favorite horror or Lovecraft uh manga? Oh gosh. Um Let's see. I I really love. There's. Uh, I think I talked about it a little bit on the panel. There's a couple of Junji Ito ones that just really stand out to me recently, and it's Ramina and Censor. These are more recent books of his. And also, I would say like there's a you know, uh, there's a manga I've recently fell in love with called Happiness. Um, it's kind of like about vampires and trauma. It's really emotional, emotional stuff. And it also has like um, uh, this kind of unsettling beauty to it. Uh, also, I love, um, there's a, have you ever heard of as God's Will? It, it's sounding familiar. So there was a movie adaptation made of it, but it's a incredible, gory manga. Uh, it's a group of students kind of in a, like a situation where they're, having to play schoolyard games, kind of like Squid Games a little bit, but this came out before Squid Game had. And oh. I think this film might have even made by Takashi Miike, if I'm, I may be incorrect on that, but check my source. But it's a, such a, a crazy tale because they're basically using like very old traditional games that kids would play like Daruma and like, it was kind of like red light, green light. But as you lost, you would be exploded by this Daruma, and uh, it's just nuts. Oh wow! So I'm gonna, and and you you have a background with uh, Japan and Japanese culture, correct? Yeah, I I have visited Japan a few times. So I have a, a friend, and, and I, if I'm catching a little bit off guard, let me know. But she has a theory. Then she lived in Japan. Mm-hmm. In so many ways, that Japanese culture is so rigid, rigid, and, and you know you have to do exactly what everyone else does and conformist. That their one real way of personal expression is creativity. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of times you'll see that. I mean, Japanese people—not just to say that they're rigid, but more that it's like the culture is based on a sense of community and mm. to reach to step out of that community puts you in a really um a, a lone wolf kind of position and makes you um like questionable in character that's why i think like lovecraft's work is so popular in japan because of that because it's um it's the person who can't conform or maybe like the person who isn't able to like accept the horror of what's happening mm, that, that's that's interesting i'm fascinated um, now, you also mentioned that you're, you're on uh, the Kaiju podcast. So I'm gonna ask, what's your favorite Kaiju? Oh, gosh. Ah, um, let's see. I have three really favorite Kaiju. Uh, first off, my Hedora boy. He's a, the smog monster versus Godzilla. Um, okay. Kind of like a squiggly 
kind of gross guy. And let's see. I love uh, um, Busca. He is from the Ultraman series. And he's a, like, he's a pocket monster. So it's not quite like a scary monster, but he's like, uh, he's, he's kind of more of a, um, a comic relief character. A lot of kids like him. He's, he eats ramen. <laughs> I like ramen too. Uh, let's see. And Sibuzu, I'd say is my absolute current love. Uh, he is also from Ultraman. He is a, a monster from the monster's graveyard. And Ooh. he's he's like an undead guy, and he just wants to go home, and he's very sensitive. Oh, so 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 he's an undead kaiju. Yeah, I mean, wow. I was the fact that we're showing video, I could be like, look, this is Sibozu, but he's based off of um, a a Japanese uh, ghost call, or a I guess one of kind of ghost, but like monster. They're yokai, uh, uh, the Omibozu, I think is what it's called, the the one that come from the sea and they're they're uh, solitary uh, yokai. Hmm. But those so, are my three faves right now. Yeah. I have to and I can't tell you maybe why, just because this was my favorite as a child and I always mispronounce his name. Anguaris. Angularis? Angularis? Like the, the one that's like sits down and has like a horn. Or has like, like cute ears. Yellow. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, he's adorable. Yeah. I have a friend who's like collects all of her whole collection is of him. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's just for some reason I just from watching, uh, uh, you know, Godzilla movies. I grew up in the greater LA market, and so oh. there wasn't anything in the '80s to show on TV that throw on a Godzilla movie, and that was just always my favorite. Oh yeah, those show era like slog fests are awesome. Just like the throwdown. Have you ever seen that Red Man stuff where it's all like um, they take the suits and <laughs> fight each other? It's just oh, it's no. kind of ridiculous. <laughs> oh, no. Derek, I'm sure Derek um, Derek has I'm sure a bunch of them. Mr. Monster Kid himself. I I will definitely have to hit them. So <laughs> if those are your favorite kaiju, what are some of your favorite kaiju shows? Oh, I love, um, have you ever seen uh, Ultra Q Dark Fantasy? I've seen some, and I've, I've heard a lot of podcasts about them. So do you remember when at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, when they had the guest um, Chiaki Kanata? Yes, yes. So he was a writer for that series, okay. on and off. He's kind of funny, because I asked him, I was like, well, I really love this one. He's like, well, that's not my best work. Okay. Yes, sir. And uh, he, let's see what else on there. There's, um, he wrote that, he wrote a few episodes of that show. And then there was another um, kind of Ultra Q. There's a Neo Ultra Q and Ultra Q I've always really liked because it's not part of the standard, like Ultraman saves the world kind of universe. It's more yeah. of a, like a darker, more like a Twilight Zone kind of vibe. Okay. So that would be my absolute favorite. I mean, besides the anime that just recently came out with the Godzilla one, the uh, Singular Point one, I'd say currently those are my two favorites, mm. like uh, kaiju related shows. So what what are maybe other uh, Japanese pop culture uh, things that you enjoy or some of your favorite Japanese pop culture? 
Uh, well, I'm sure if anybody who saw the panel saw that I'm, I was dressed in Lolita. It's um, like a Japanese fashion subculture that I fell in love with in the late 90s and then kind of uh, re-came back into um, in their, like the early 10s teens of this year or this of this decade or whatever. And uh, let's see. Uh, it's it's the, the I, I'm particular to uh, the gothic Lolita fashion in okay. specific. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think you also mentioned, and, and again, uh, let me know if I'm putting you on the spot here, but you, what if there's some um, some uh, manga or stuff where, where Lovecraft monsters are, are portrayed as Japanese girls? Yeah, that's called, um, well, there's a couple of them. One of them um, is up here I have on my shelf. And that was the, remember, I don't know if everyone remembers, but the elder sister-like one which was the like kind of arrow manga one. <laughs> and there, I mean, that's narc that's basically a hound of Tindalos, like as a as a female persona character. And mm -hmm. then there is the what is I think it's like the called the Kai the Kaiju girls or Cthulhu girls, the one that had uh Narcolotep and uh Hester and Cthulhu as like they basically look like teenage girls but I think they were, it, I can't remember, I'm so sorry. Off the top of my head is Lovecraft Girls, How or How to Prevent the Apocalypse. That's what it is. Okay. So, so um, as we're kind of, uh, really enjoyed being here, but so as we're kind of winding down, maybe sort of jump a little bit more into to directly into Lovecraft. What are some of your favorite Lovecraft stories? Oh, uh I love uh, the. That sounds so cliche. I'm sure. I really, really love the um, the Shadow of Innsmouth. Okay. Yeah. I I think it's I think what I love about that is kind of again like what we talked about with Japanese culture, the fish out of water thing, is that he is the one element that is standing against or is estranged to all these people, and I I kind of like that. Oh. I've always liked the eerie tone of that story and how you, the isolation that he felt. I mean, I'm traveling to different countries and things like that by yourself. I'm sure you've experienced this, like where you have these, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. If I'm like, do I, do I follow through? Do I follow with? It's that's what I love about that story. Yeah. So the, the first Lovecraft story I ever read, uh, I was probably 13 was the outsider. Oh, and and it's definitely the same and, vibe. And, and and yeah, exactly. And and in a lot of ways, to me, that's the most lyric of it. And I I get that other people disagree, but I think that it's kind of more most lyric, most literature-like story in a lot of ways. Oh, agreed. And, and a lot of it is because it it was my first. <laughs> I'm trying to think. My first was probably based off of um, an accidental read of a B. Dalton Necronomicon, and then I was like, "Oh, I have to follow through with who these characters are," and then found like by the course. Yeah. So I really enjoyed talking to you, and we can't wait to have you back on the show. But we have yeah. a signature traditional question that we always ask at the end. Oh yes, yes. I've been giving this one some thought. <laughs> yeah. so it should be part of any creative project or be in charge of it and you didn't doesn't medium doesn't matter copyrights don't matter money doesn't matter 
what, what's your dream project? Um, I'm going to keep on topic with, with Lovecraft. I would say that I would love to see, and I kind of touched on this a little bit when we were on our panel was that I would love to see an anime adaptation of uh, like the doom that came to Sarnath. Oh, right? that's amazing. So think about it, like, because you can't do that in a film project, just about how obscure and how bizarre the people are and the the planet is and the strangeness. I kind of, um, as a, I kind of fell in love with that story after hearing um, Jeffrey Combs read it. Okay. And I had never read that story before until he read it and was completely blown away. And so that immediately came to mind when you asked me this question is, it's, I just think that there's the only way to capture that. And I guess who, what artist would I have doing it? Uh, let's see. Oh, I wouldn't say, because I wouldn't, I mean, Junji Ito would be really good to have it, but then there would be, um, what is it? Uh, what's his name? Vampire Hunter D. <laughs> have you ever read those comics? So I, I've seen, I've, I've read a few, but I, I've seen mainly the animal, an, anime. Okay. Well, you know, the artist, that does it is the um let's see what is this thing name oh amano gosh i'm such a ding dong anyways amano is the artist for uh the for vampire under d and i think that his style he also did like all the art for like those uh the final fantasy games and whatnot okay yeah yeah and he like his art i think would be really spectacular in this format Oh, it would. The doom that came to Sarnath. And it would give it this really un, I mean, unearthly, otherworldly quality. Absolutely. Because, I mean, his characters in and of themselves have these, like, almost, like, fey aspects to them and, like, looking like gods and demons. And I thought, that's why. Oh, that that would be amazing. Now... I know that you're uh, been doing quite a bit in the past, but do you have any, maybe any projects or anything where uh, our listeners can uh, find uh, more of the things you're working on? Um, well, I mean, they can follow me on my Instagram. It's um, Gretchen is weird, all one word. And then currently I don't have any major projects. I'm, Gwen and I are trying to work on building a podcast together. We're, we're watching movies and talking about them. Oh, I would definitely listen to that. <laughs> Especially like getting it, getting um, lesser known directors and like kind of getting them pushed to the forefront and talking to them and whatnot. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, let us know when you are. We'll make sure that uh, we let everybody listening here knows about it. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And like I said, I'm looking forward to have you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really good chatting with you. Thank you. All right. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, 
artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Hello, everyone. Normally at this point in time, I, uh, I like to uh, normally do an ad for Copper Cow or Taz the Chocolates. But today, I just want to say, you know what? Maybe you don't like chocolate. Maybe you don't want a guitar. Maybe you don't want anything we're trying to sell. But What's we, wrong with you? I, I don't know. I don't know. But one thing that we do need is we do need help for the show to continue publishing it and continue having a website for it. So if you want to donate, you want to become part of the Patreon, you want to look through who we have for our sponsors, find something yourself that you'd like, go for it. But we, you know, this is... This is like a, uh, you know, a telethon, a teledrive or whatever you call it. If you go to our, uh, what do you would call it? Our threadless, uh, our threadless store or our store, you, you, you can pick up a tote bag if you need a tote, tote bag to feel like, you know, you, you contributed. All right. Back to the show. Hey, everyone. It's me, DB, here with Farmer Dave. We're talking about D&D on D&D. I'm one of the Ds, Dave's the other. So, what? Funny, it works out that way. Yeah, yeah. The other Ds are dungeons and or dragons, and we're not talking about dragons or dungeons today necessarily, unless you think of the Outer Plains as its own dungeon. Like, if you think of, I mean, the Nine Hells, that's a heck of a dungeon. That's that's nine layers. Gehenna, that's like four or five giant floating mountains. Hades, I mean, it's the three glooms. Carceri, it's a prison within a prison within a prison within a prison. And the abyss, which is just a big pit that goes down forever, that has some highlights along the way. <laughs> all right, that's it. We covered them all. See you yes. uh, next time. No. Uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, Dave, uh, do you want to get us started off on Beator, the Nine Hells? So, Nine Hells, of course, comes from Dante. Dante's yeah. Inferno, where he divides hell up. And then, uh, and it's basically sort of this medieval concept uh-huh. that people could go to heaven or limbo or hell as tourists. Yeah, yeah. And so it's... It, <laughs> And, and Dante's writing this as fiction and exemplar, but that's where sort of the concept of the nine hells come from. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've got like Dis and Stygia, so they're going to be very, um, they're going to be Christian as in a lot of medieval concepts <laughs> of hell are yeah. Greco-Roman as opposed to biblical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, strict hierarchical state for all of the devils involved. Uh, each each layer is its own unpleasantness. It might be a ultra hot desert. It might be a a cold freezing waste. It might be a diseased marsh. It might be fiery hot with like brass cities and things falling out of the sky constantly. I mean, it's it's hell. It's hell. It's it's a literal hell. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that. Osmodeus is like over all of it, but each layer has its own sort of chief demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each 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 level has its like uh, hell 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 chieftain for sure, definitely. And it's 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 interesting um, that a lot of them come from literature. And again, not not uh, Judeo Christian literature, but I want to say like uh, Greek. I believe, but I could be totally wrong. Uh, it, but yeah, no, no. Um, Asmodeus is not a deity from, or it's not a uh, character from the Bible. <laughs> and, and you know, there's you know Stygia and and everybody. I mean, they took liberal. I mean, they took some liberties when they made things like that. But okay. I'm pretty sure you know Stygia is this sort of frozen ice hell but i'm pretty sure it, i want to say the lowest level but maybe it's the second or third of dante's hell is yeah. cold it's ice it's not yeah. necessarily this brimstones and flames that we sometimes associate with the the judeo-christian hell yeah and if you haven't read dante's inferno and you're you play dungeons and dragons please do there is amazing stuff and like why people are in hell and what the various hells are for and who does what and how do you get there in the first place? And you can do some really kind of cool stuff like that. So I highly recommend reading Dante's Inferno. Or you can and like- it's, it's, And it's a, it's a good, it's, a, it, it's classic literature for a reason. Yeah. And if you don't want, want to read classic literature, there's a few Dante's Infernos out there that aren't about volcanoes. Um, that, 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 like there's a, uh, I believe it's a, uh, paper puppetry kind of, uh, Dante's Inferno that I think is amazing. Uh, used to be able that you could watch it on Netflix. Um, don't know if it's still there, but anyway, I highly recommend it. Uh, and you can always find it on bits and pieces of it on YouTube. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, um, Beator. I mean, it's, it's, it's where devils live. Um. It's a place, uh, I mean, depending on where you're at, it's it's going to be different. You can end up in one place and not even know you're in hell and just be like, what is this place? And people say hell, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that was that fiery hot place. It's like, no, mm -hmm. it, it, it can be a gross swamp, too. And you're like, okay. But. Speaking of other versions of Inferno, uh, David Niven and Jerry Pornell did a, a sort of a, a modern science fiction uptake oh. uh, of it. Uh, okay. Called Infernal. I mean, in the seventies, in the okay. uh, and where instead of like hellhounds, uh, people that uh, lied and got like petroleum banned, or you know, Niven hated you know uh, ecologists and stuff. So okay. they're, ch they're chased like by um, sports cars with teeth and. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. That's a cool. Uh, that sounds really cool. 
Um, Gehenna is known as the Fourfold Furnaces. It is four massive volcanoes floating in an infinite infinite space. Uh, anytime I've used it, I've always like put in like a couple of like little tiny islands that like 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 uh, you have to jump or build your way or like try and figure out. And these islands, they all bump into each other. They can collide. They can clash. Um, and each island has its own kind of um, like uh, what do you like its own petitioners, not its own petitioners per se, but its own um, ecology and its own kind of like different animals. And the animals that you find here are things like hell beasts of various sorts and uh, the petitioners are tiny little, I don't know, gizmo looking things. Um, but so, yeah. I, oh, oh yeah. Just, uh, so the, the word Gehenna and how we associate it with hell, it's actually a translation of the, of the Valley of Heman, which is outside of Jerusalem. Uh-huh. It's where they burn their trash. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so, and so that's why it's used as an allegory for hell, mm-hmm. because that we see all the smoke of everything that was unclean and dirty being destroyed. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And after that, we have uh, going to uh, I believe uh, uh, Greco-Roman uh, beliefs again with uh, Hades or commonly known as the Gray Wastes of Hades in D&D, or the Three Glooms. Um, It's a place that sucks away color, sucks away emotions, and leaves fear and anger and hatred, or not even, just like, it it just kind of leaves you feeling empty and selfish. And um, yeah, in, in adventures, you'll do something like, end up in Gehenna and like go running over some colorless hill to find blood and gore everywhere. And it hasn't lost its color yet because it just happened. All these creatures just killed each other. (laughs) And the longer you're there, the less you care about stuff and the less color you have. And then finally, at some point in time, you just become a petitioner of Gehenna and then you slowly become part of the realm itself. And it's at such a middle point that, well, now we're going to start getting into the blood war, since Gehenna itself isn't that interesting of a place to talk about. Um, there's a war between uh, demons and devils, the Tanari and the Beatsu. Um, it's an ongoing war, and they use the lower plains as a uh, battleground. And since Hades is in the very, very, very center, it's kind of like the uh, I don't know. It's 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 a uh, the war zone. Uh, so yeah, yeah, no man's land. The yeah. DMZ. Uh huh. Uh huh. Exactly. Um. So yeah, it's 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 where a lot of the the battles actually happen in the Blood War, and yeah, <laughs> that's about all I have on uh, Hades, the Gray Waste. Um. Let's see. It's full of night hags. Uh, Hades lives there. Uh, the Norse goddess of death, hell, lives there. M- mask from uh, from uh, oh, uh, Forgotten Realms lives there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Forgot about Mask. 
Um, and yeah, up next, sorry, I lost my space. Uh, up next, we have da 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 Kasseri, the one that I, I find the least amount of information for, but I have um, I have stored away so much about Kasseri in my brain. It's kind of like what you see when you look at Kasseri is you see like a string of pearls is the best way to describe Kasseri. It's an, an infinite open space and a string of pearls you can like somehow jump from one uh pearl to the next or get your way there uh you you can move from one to the next and then um inside there's a, there's there's like a dimension inside of each pearl and that is its own pearl and next to that you can see another pearl i mean it's it's like these pearls inside of pearls, but each pearl is its own kind of like world, like Russian doll of dimensions. Yes, but when you're on a pearl, you can see that uh, as you go down to the next pearl, you can see the string of that pearls, and as you go down to the next pearl that's inside of the other one, then you can see that string of pearls, but you can't see up to other strings of pearls. It's it's like Russian nesting dolls, but also. I don't know. It's it's a little bit more complicated. And that's what's really, really interesting about Carceri. Also, it's a prison planet. This is where deities send people to like not be a problem anymore. This is a place where despots get sent by powerful wizards. This is the red prison. This is the Tartarian depths of Carceri. This, you know, it's 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 punishment. It's it's like you know, there's there's eternal punishments like uh, Beator and Tanari and stuff like that. But this place is like, it's meant for punishment. It is, it is a prison uh, uh, plane. It's yeah, it's it's easy to get into and hard to get out of. And oh man, can you do fun stuff with that for your D and D campaign? Like people like uh, an old man's like oh i've got this and then tricks you is like ha 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 you guys are the jerks that broke into my my castle last time uh now you're going to hell but they don't know what they're talking about and they send you to kasari and you got to figure your way out but yeah um each pearl uh deeper as you go the harder and weirder and more terrible it gets to the point where you're at these little tiny pearls that are you know um just these awful, terrible, worse conditioned kind of places. Uh, speaking of worse conditioned kind of places, we have the abyss. Anything you want to say about the abyss, Dave? Um, not really to start off with, other than don't go there. Yeah, yeah. So we have pretty much, um, you have a uh, plane of existence an outer plane of existence that has like kind of a surface world, like a flat surface world with all these pits. A lot of these pits all go to the same places. Some pits go to different places, but they all go down. And uh, these pits, you can fall into them for a very long time, uh, but there's portals within these pits. And these are the infinite number of portals and infinite number of pits that exist when this in this plane of existence, and they're all connected. 
you can have massive worlds of water where uh, super chaotic, evil, uh, wat sentient water monsters uh, where their deities live. I mean, you can, you can, anything you can think of, you can have this like loony space of all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, you go to a desert where all the rocks are eyeballs. That's not gonna be something unheard of in the, uh, the abyss. I mean, it's like, you can have like hellscapes of like fevered dreams. It's, it's a little too close to limbo and it has a lot of chaotic energy to it. And a lot of different demonic lords will come out of there like Jubilex and yeah. 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 There's, there's, uh, I, I want to say like Jubilex and then there is the blue handsome devil prince with six fingers. There's Orcus, the demon God of the undead. Uh, who's a big Orcus. Uh, <laughs> there is, uh, oh man, Demigorgon? Is that Demi one? Or, I uh, think he's in from the abyss. Yeah, yeah, it's two-headed uh, jackal with big swords. I mean, yes, yeah, that's he, uh, yeah he's, he's from uh, Golovich. Yeah. And Gratz was the demon prince that I was thinking of that has six hands or six fingers on each hand and kind of looks like uh, Nightcrawler from <laughs> the X-Men. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the abyss. And there's it's it's just so expansive. And there's worlds that everyone knows about on the on the abyss or in the abyss. And there's worlds that like no scholar has set their eyes on and is like, you need to go to this place to go to that place to go to this place to go to that place, but maybe a massive world onto itself that honestly doesn't need the prime material plane and does, is doing pretty well for itself. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's 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 a lot of uh, cool adventures. You can start out in the abyss and I want to say the abyss, I want to say the gray wastes, like a lot of the lower realms, I think would be perfectly suited for a third or fourth level character just as long as they have like the proper protection for certain things. Um, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's good for plenty of adventures. Like um, there are terrible, horrible things in the abyss and uh, in, in, in the nine hells. But um, what you do to demonstrate that is you have something bigger come along and like, rip it in half and like it doesn't even care about the pcs because they're too small it's like i'm not going to eat that i'm not going to eat that half of a pretzel that's left in a bowl i need something more <laughs> so <laughs> the, the the players got to be more worried that it'll accidentally step on them exactly exactly it's like uh, the kind of place where stuff happens and you're too you're you're like they don't want to mess you know it's like ba the beators don't want to mess with humans unless to trick them into something. And that's only if they're powerful. Um, and uh, yeah, no, they, they, uh, they'll they snack on them, sure, but it's not like a good snack. <laughs> but yeah, and further down you go, more and more dangerous things get um, even the states of the uh, layers. And I'm talking about all layers here, get more and more violent, more and more inhospitable to humanoids. 
and uh, further down you go, more powerful are the uh, gods and demigods and like barons of the levels or whatever, they get more powerful. Um, in the abyss, that may not necessarily be true. I mean, you may have, it's, it's, it's kind of random, so you don't really stack them. People have, like scholars, quote unquote, have like uh, named them and given them numbers based off of when they were found and stuff like that. Planarial scholars, not real world scholars, uh, have, you know, named the levels and stuff like that all across. And uh, yeah, yeah, we have names for them if you go and buy a book based on this stuff, but that doesn't mean that it's actually the 222nd level of the yeah. abyss. It's just what it was named. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish I had one of my, uh, my uh, planarial books around me right now, but yeah, <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. And, and I have to admit that I have very seldom, especially say in the last 20 years, used a plane. And it's a great place and a great venture and something new for your players. Yeah. Um, there's just so many adventures here. And that's not saying that plane or adventures aren't great. Yeah. Uh, there's just, I haven't been, I just haven't really gotten into them. Yeah. And honestly, uh, my personal feeling is, it doesn't matter where you have your adventure, just as long as you have an adventure. So, I mean, for me, it's really super easy to just start an adventure in these places, being like, oh yeah, your, your characters are dead. But they, they function as they would like in the living world here. And it's like, maybe you're not actually dead. Maybe you just think you're dead or, you know, just, or, um, there's there's a, a gateway in their town that opens up to Beator, and they're really worried about it opening up and stuff spilling out. So you have to figure out how to close it for good. But it's actually not Beator. Maybe it's Gehenna or Hades or Kasseri or even like uh, Acheron or Pandemonium, which aren't that bad in comparison to the actual lower planes, but they're yeah. not great. <laughs> yeah. You you know, yeah, you wouldn't really want a vacation home there. Yeah, or or even, you know, uh, I mentioned two episodes back, have a, uh, a chaotic neutral party, have a, a, a party that has, like, maybe a little bit of evilness to it, and drop that in, in Mount Celestia and, like, have them get hurt for how many rounds with the Holy Water Lake yeah. until they can, like, find their way to dry ground or something like that, but, yeah. you know? Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Uh, the, the outer planes, they're neat. Next week, we're going to start talking about the inner planes. And I think after that, we're going to be talking about the astral planes. Something like that. Something like that. But, hey, this has been DB and uh, Farmer Dave talking about D&D. &D. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Well, take care. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Help out the show by following us on social media. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, uh, we're on Twitter, but I don't use Twitter anymore. I haven't used Twitter for a really long time. We're also on the YouTube, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, PGTTCM. Look for us there. And of course, the website where all of the stuff filters through pgttcm.com. Thank you again.
Uh, this episode was recorded by Farmer Dave and edited by DB. Music, as always, is by DB Spitzer. And we look forward to seeing you. And hopefully sooner than later, I've been sick, I will get those back, the backlog of episodes up and running. Or there's a possibility no one will ever hear this. Until, until robots roam the earth and some robot goes, oh, hey, look in this dirty old shed covered by 10 miles of ice. It was a podcast, they call it. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye, our dreaded robot overlords who we have wiped us out. Yeah. All right. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.